Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Wiggins, America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins, America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. <laughs> Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. This might not make sense right at first, but I've got a story I want to tell you, and I'm going to tie it into the Trump indictment. I was walking past a desk out here in the lobby, and we've got a bunch of magazines on that desk. One of them is a People magazine. The cover of this People magazine, which I think was from, let's see, June, Harrison Ford is cooler than ever. The legend on his final adventure is Indiana Jones and why he's still having fun. Quote, I love a challenge, he says. He's biting his sunglasses sexily on the front of the cover. Inside, the story says Harrison Ford glances at an old people cover and seems, seems vaguely bemused. It's the 1998 Sexiest Man Alive issue and Ford, the cover star, appears as a robust 56-year-old wearing jeans, a button-down open at the collar, and a twinkling smile. That was a long time ago, he says, not at all wistfully. Then deadpans, when I used to be sexy. Ford, who turns 81 in July, and who, for the record, is still quite robust, isn't pining for those days, nor is he particularly nostalgic about his unparalleled five-decade career his films, including the epic Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises, have grossed more than $10 billion worldwide. Instead, the dry-witted Chicago native has always preferred to keep his head down and get to work. No one ever believes this, but I never wanted to be rich and famous, he says, relaxed and thoughtful on a May afternoon in L.A. I just wanted to be an actor. Is that the most important news of the week? Yes, it is. And you know why? 
Because that's what the majority of America is paying attention to. There was a fourth indictment on Donald Trump this week. And I'm willing to bet that the vast majority of voters, not just Americans, but even voters, couldn't tell you the number of indictment that this is or even what's in it. But that is the point of the whole thing, you understand? The whole point of this is to keep it in the news so that the story is about corrupt Donald Trump running for president in 2024 as the frontrunner. Yet, we've reached max volume on these things so much that my, I don't know, I said maybe good news. It's a weird backward good news. My good news to share with you is that nobody really cares anymore. Nobody really cares anymore whose mind isn't already made up. That's a better way to put it. Because there are people obviously screaming very loudly about this. They're so happy. Uh, We're mad. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think this is a Marxist show trial. That's the where we're getting where uh, anybody, not just the, the opponent, not just the political opponent, but anybody in his orbit, we're going to come after you. So don't you dare associate with this man or we're taking you down too. I think we just impeached a president a couple years ago for messing with the opponent. Now it's fine though because it's Donald Trump. But that's where we are. And I, I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing for the moment in America that the majority of Americans are kind of glazed over on this. I've been watching polling as I usually do. It seems to help Trump in the primary where you have the most engaged voters. And if anything, it might hurt a little bit in the general, but it's not really moving the needle. And that's why I say, here's what right here. This is what most of America is paying attention to. What's the latest movie? What's Harrison Ford think? Ooh, he's 81. You know, I mean, that stuff's interesting. It's not the most important thing going on, but it's what it's what people are paying attention to. People don't even know that this is number four. They don't know the details of the case. CNN did a piece this week where they walked around showing voters or, or letting voters, I would say voters, probably just Americans. I don't know whether they were voting. It was just a sample size of man on the street stuff where they would play the phone call where he says about finding votes, finding me 10,000 votes or whatever. And their their point of the story was to show people, look, if you really knew the facts about this case, you'd really be upset. I think Annie Fry, I'm referencing my other show during the week, did a very good job of explaining this. I probably should have just pulled the clip, but I'll paraphrase. She said, remember when that was going on in 2020 in Georgia, we were all watching it. It's not as if this was going on behind closed doors. He calls the attorney general, who's a Republican, and says, look, you need to find me 10,000 votes. What does that mean? Well, there were multiple investigations going on at that time. There were all kinds of fraud claims. You remember? And they, they sometimes were in the hundreds of thousands. And there was this claim and that claim and this investigation over here and this one. And this one could have affected 200,000 votes. And this one could have affected 5,000 in the context of all those investigations going on, he said, I need you to find me 10,000. I don't even need the 100. In the, in the midst of all these investigations that are going on, which didn't really prove anything, uh, not that the, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. I mean, they just didn't, they didn't go through with them. Some of them proved to be false, but some of them they just threw out on the merits of nothing. I mean, most of these cases never really went to trial, so we still don't really know much about them. 
And all Trump was doing was saying, in the midst of all these investigations that are supposed to be going on, all I need is 10,000. I don't even need the big one. Give me the little ones. I don't care. If you, can, if you find fraud, which he was convinced existed, if you find fraud, you don't even need to find the big bear. Find me the little bear. And now that is illegal, not because that is illegal. It's illegal because it was Donald Trump doing it. But the point of me bringing up the CNN story is back to the original thing that I'm trying to make a point overall here throughout this whole segment to start the show this weekend, that the majority of people in that, even that CNN clip, they didn't even know what was going on. So CNN would play the clip and they go, oh, and they'd react. CNN was trying to show if you really knew the facts, you'd be upset about this. But what they really showed, as we conclude here and get to the rest of the show, what they really showed was that America has moved on. We don't trust the media anymore. The average American knows there are games being played, and they know that they are the ones being pawned. They know that there's a big there, there's somebody up above them that's moving the pieces, and that they're either the pieces or uh, they're in the game, and they don't really want to be. They don't want to be pieces. They just want to be told the truth, and they know they're not. And so they're not really paying attention anymore. You are. Uh, it's why you're upset about it. It's why I've been upset all week about it. Because this is a new level of show trial that reeks of Marxism, 20th century Marxism, where you had show trials in mostly Eastern Europe. Um, this looks like that. It's unfortunate that we're here, but my prayer, my honest prayer is, and this is where I've kind of taken some hope and some solace, is that you do kind of need to go through the valley before you come back up, don't you? And my hope is that we go through all this stuff only to find out that we had to go through it so that corruption could be rooted out. Now, I'm not going to get deeply into this case and how it relates to that, but just generally in America, we're going through dark times where there's a lot of darkness, and I, I mean that in every sense of the word, even spiritually. And my hope is that we go through this so that when the light comes the light of disinfectant on maybe even our politics will come through and clean this stuff out and we'll enter a different era that doesn't look like this, but we'll be able to point back to this and say, oh, we had to go through, we had to see how deep it got so that we could come out of it. That's my prayer. All right, take a break here. We'll be right back. Wiggins America. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Old Roy, thanks for being here this weekend. I just got done with my diatribe on the Trump indictment. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know some specific que- uh, answers to questions that I have for you, though, because it's stuff that I haven't really discussed. I wanted to wait for you. Okay. With the quad train... <laughs> Uh, of indictments now. Nice use of that word. Thank you. Um, does this walk with me here? We talk about election fraud often enough that people know we talk about it on this show because some some people just stay away from that topic in, entirely. We do mm-hmm. not, um, and we we parse out individual cases. We talk about it, but ultimately. What people who really dive into that topic, which I mean, we, I'm not saying we don't dive in, but people who are like obsessed with just that topic, um, they sometimes believe that there is a big criminal mastermind, probably international, not just domestic, that involves high level business people and well-connected money and Illuminati maybe, or whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. and mostly Democrat, but also possibly some Republican politicians that are high level. Yeah. And this is also probably, uh, to use the Kamala Harris Venn diagram, uh, crosses over with the swamp quite a bit, you know, the deep state. Mm -hmm. What we've seen, though, in these indictments is a full court press in ways that are basically breaking the system We've never seen this before, going after a political opponent with such incredible fervor. This isn't one. I mean, this is four. That does this prove that if they actually could rig elections, that they wouldn't need to do all this? Your thoughts? I think they they thought <clears throat> that they could, and it wasn't as smooth sailing. They They were successful. <clears throat> but there was enough shenanigans that people are now suspicious. Half the population, if not more, is suspicious. So they they need there to use what's a Peter Strzok's word. They need no, an insurance there. policy. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so they're still going to try. They've been trying and practicing this. For a while, and the the 2020 oh. election was the... Thanks for having your watch off. Yep, you bet. I don't know how to turn it off. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it worked, and but they there needs to be multiple levels of insurance policy, and... I I do believe that there's a there's a globalist group of mostly international bankers um, who are trying to drive a lot of what's going on now, but not in a micromanage way. There's a lot of useful idiots mm-hmm. that are that are acting selfishly 
on their own part, but it plays into the objectives. So. Uh, all, all may be true, and throw that thing outside, because um, <laughs> it's just going to keep happening. Um, but back to my original question, though, because even if all that is true, there's not a guarantee from whatever this group is, if they exist, that they can rig an election. I think that's my point is what I'm saying, is that even if there are individual cases of fraud and maybe even big cases, you know, this coming Monday, Trump's supposed to speak about Georgia and maybe it's nothing. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if he had like new information. Yeah. I've been sitting on this for three years, you know, right. but he is supposed to speak about, uh, he says, ir- irrefutable or uh, whatever proof that there was fraud in Georgia. So let's say he bombshells this thing and it's like, oh my gosh, <clears throat> we all can't believe this. It won't happen. The media will just cover up and r- find excuses for it, even if it is something totally legit. But ultimately, the picture that's being painted is that even if there is this big group, they don't have total control over things, right? They're really close. Um, <clears throat> and the effort is underway to even cement that even more. But again, it, it it's it's not kind of the traditional conspiratorial Illuminati thing where they're they're pulling all the levers. Um, but the 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 biggest and most damaging thing I think that's come out of all of this um, is the judicial system's role in it and how the the DOJ and certain judges have bought into Trump is so bad that anything is acceptable. The the ends justifies the means in this case, <clears throat> which I think is where the 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 influential globalist bad guys are on that page too, is that whatever we gotta do to get rid of Trump, so let's just throw everything at it to prevent him, to try to prevent and block him. There's probably gonna be another indictment come out of Arizona, I think. That's my next prediction. Or against Michigan. Trump or Michigan. Yeah. And the the objective of that is they're hoping, well, maybe something will stick. But in the meantime, we're distracting and we're running him out of money. That I mean, that's most of the, the DOJs and, and these types of lawsuits are designed to beat you down financially, even if they know they don't have a solid legal case. That's, that's 100% right. And, and Ramaswamy and Trump are pretty much the only two that could withstand it because they're both pretty rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump has gotten richer since becoming president. But not because of the office, right? I mean, because of the fame of the office, right. but not like selling the office, right? I, I don't, I can't imagine that you could ever have an American president that could sell the office and get away with it. Do you? <laughs> Boy, that'd be that'd be something. That's like, that's like movies. You'd have to be like some sort of political genius, yeah, to to pull that off, right? And and you'd have to have like full cover from the media you'd have to have everybody on your side yeah that to pull that happen. off and if you i'll just say this if you believe that an american president could sell the office for money you are you are a conspiracy theorist oh yeah you're out there you're way out there and and you if you want to believe the truth you just believe what people tell you about it do not look into these things because these people are smarter than we are we don't 
we're not in that level. No. No, right? we are adults. Adults, <laughs> <laughs> not adults. Right. We are definitely not adults either. No. Let me let me switch gears on that then. Okay. Not to not to the Bidens because I, I think your your points about financially bankrupting him, trying to keep him from running at all. Uh, you know, I the laws in various states will be weird as far as if they make him a criminal. I mean, they're going to kick up the line anyway, so it's not going to mm. stop at the states. Right. But <clears throat> you know, running for office if they if they do convict him in Georgia. And then he wins Georgia. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, it's like, ah, well, here we are again at the doorstep of never done this before. Yep. Um, but that aside, same issue, though, with the, with the indictments. I heard Ben Shapiro talking about how he thinks that now, and he's been saying this for a while, it's not like he's suddenly changed his tune. He's been saying that they went after Trump with this RICO Act, which is like a mafia thing in Georgia, that he's been saying for a long time, you need to use this. This is opposite of what you're mostly hearing, which is you can't use RICO, which is for mafia stuff, to go after politicians. Right. But he's been saying, no, you should use RICO way before Georgia was doing it to go after politicians because it'll finally stop them from doing racketeering. And then... I don't know, maybe somebody listened to him and then did it in Georgia against Trump, like flipped it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the the racketeering charges in Georgia are silly, uh, according to all legal analysts, mm-hmm. the analysts that I've heard, which is honestly all political. It's it's just political. Because if it's Democrat legal, then they're like, well, this is legit. And if it's Republican legal, yeah. they're like, this is not legit. Right. Um, but all of that to say and ask this question should Republicans now, and this is what Ben Shapiro is saying, return tit for tat? Should they start going after political enemies legally because now that has been breached? That is what we're experiencing now. Usually Republicans are not the first to cross in, but they do eventually get there. Should they? This is this has kind of been going on for a long time with with conservatives is why do we let them, why do we play their game all the time? and take the higher ground. <clears throat> and I I go back and forth on this because at some point you're like fight back. But at the same time if if we give up our ethics just for the sake of beating the bad guy are you any better? Are you any better and does that just take all of us yeah. lower? Yeah. You know, so it my opinion would be find ways to beat them with the truth beat them and i know people have been trying it but but not really effectively and and especially the republicans now are so spineless they kind of always have been a little bit when things get dirty unless they can hide behind the scenes but it, it it's i don't think we can go that route um the the whole RICO stuff, all the racketeering stuff, that was primarily designed to flip informers on in within the mafia because it was a it was a badge of courage to do three to five years. You know, now you, you just get street cred in the mafia mm-hmm. and everybody can be quiet for three to five years. But one of the main points of that was to all right, now we're talking forty year, fifty year life sentences for these things that used to be 
you short know, sentences. Short sentences. And and guys were like, I'm not sitting that out. Yeah, I'm not sitting that life. out. And so that's how they were starting to get people to flip. And that was kind of the the game behind putting those in place. And But your but your answer to this question in particular, this one this one issue, because I get what you're saying thematically, but with this issue, should Republicans start going after political opponents legally just like Democrats are doing now? I don't think so because it it's it's so obvious and blatantly wrong that you're just doing it to win, but then what about the next guy? If it now becomes okay for everybody, we've got to fight this completely. You cannot start using the justice system to take out your political opponents because there's the, the slippery slope. Where does that lead to? There's nothing good comes of that. Yeah. Because if, if it's today, if it's the guys we like, Republicans fighting back using their tactics, what happens when it's the next ones that come in? And well, we today it, it is our guys <laughs> being taken down by these things. So well, that's why or, you say. or worse guys, supposedly on our side, now saying we're gonna we're gonna criminalize everybody we don't like or who's in our way. Yeah. Well, I I'm surprised to hear you say that because I thought you would have said because typically you're like, look, this is the way the game's played. You got to play the game the way the game's played now. Um, but I agree with you. I, I don't think this is a road that Republicans should take. Now, <clears throat> and I just am talking about this issue because there are a lot of others that when the dam is breached, I think back to, and I wasn't alive for this, but I have seen how it happened, when basketball in the 50s and 60s was played a certain way. And then Dr. J comes along, and he did not break any rules. Right. He played the game completely differently and changed the way that it's played. Right. But he didn't break the rules of basketball. He definitely bent them in a way. Like, he would take a few steps that were like, ooh, can you do that? Yeah. And then, yeah, you kind of can. And so everybody had to start doing that to keep up with him and the way the game had evolved. I think Republicans should absolutely do that and even be ahead. Like, be Dr. J. Don't just respond to Dr. J. Yeah. Like, get ahead of those games. <clears throat> Uh, I talk about different random solutions that I come up with to different problems on this show just because I'm like, hey, get ahead of this. Mm-hmm. Like, talk about this. Go legislate this before it becomes a thing. You know, be ahead of it. Uh, this is one, though, that I think they should not step on. Let Democrats keep soiling themselves mm-hmm. and take the high ground here because it's not just – this isn't just, well, I'm just going to do it because you did it. This is like – oh, crap, we're entering third world country territory. Right. Let Democrats be the third world dictators that they supposedly don't like mm-hmm. and be the ones who say, we do not prosecute our political enemies because we actually believe in democracy. Right. If there's a real legal case, we will begrudgingly take it, which is why I'm glad that they are slow walking an impeachment of Joe Biden until they have hard concrete evidence to do it not that impeachment is the same as politically prosecuting your enemies because impeachment is very different but i like that they are and some people are going to be very much against that i'm saying this i like that they're doing it carefully well they're following the process it's 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 a common thing to create new ways to deal with the problem we already know how to handle yeah 
you know, with gun laws and all that, it just keeps repeating itself. But in this case, impeachment is the process. Once a person is impeached and they are no longer in that political role, then they can be, you can pursue, hopefully legally and constitutionally, the wrongdoing. Yeah. But just follow the, the, pro, the founding fathers were a lot smarter than, than people give them credit for sometimes. They thought through, they didn't think through the specifics of, you know, a crackhead selling <laughs> right. the office to China. But well, Just in case the president's son leaves his laptop somewhere because he was high, <laughs> what should we do? No, but, but, but just in general, separation of powers and, and instituting policies for, um, and procedures for dealing with wrongdoing, it's all there. Plus, it was all based fundamentally on a sense of honor and morality that we have. Yeah, that we don't have. It anymore. really is. That's a very good point. That all these legal maneuvers were based on uh, a person having self-control. Yeah, you know, people having the gifts of the spirit, you could say, hmm. and agreeing to mutual, you know, respect, and that that is gone. But all these things are built in for that reason. We're long. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. You know, as somebody who writes stuff, write comedy and stuff, I got to admit, a lot of conservative comedy is terrible. I mean, a lot, of jo- a lot of jokes in general, comedy in general is just awful. But conservative comedy really can dip into the bad realm. There is a gold mine in the trans issues, though. The problem is it's such an easy place to go for comedy that really bad comedians can go there and just ruin it for everybody and then you get a lot of just average jokes that come out of it but it really is easy to do it 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 really is a gold mine you know people putting in their profiles my pronouns are the she it which i can't actually say the full version of on the radio but you know what i mean like it's really kind of overdone but when you find a good one it is, it is really funny because the whole thing is just so absurd. Being able to just declare yourself anything. Like, take yourself out of the trans... Take yourself out of sexuality, which for some reason is like holy territory for the left. Sex. And just think of the idea that you can just say, I am this now, and everybody has to pretend that you are and agree with you, no matter what it is. It's just a crazy idea in general. So anyway, I I ran across this clip, and I I have really no idea who these people are, whether they're a group or they just made this one video or something, but it's mainly this one guy, and he's doing, you know, he's doing a trans bit, and it's funny, I think because they don't ever wink at the camera, they don't ever let you know that they think they're being funny, and that's part of it is that a lot of comedians that they'll do that you know they, they'll like oh i'm look at this crazy funny thing i'm doing and these guys aren't doing that here i'll just play it my name is ernie whitaker my pronouns are i me he him she her we they us sometimes i even use shakespearean pronouns which are thee thou thy thyself and ye i'm transgender non-binary gender conforming gender fluid just to name a few as you all know, the trans movement is the fastest growing movement out there, so I figured, why not get involved on the ground level and use it to my advantage? For instance, whenever I'm late to work, which happens a lot, I'm not gonna lie, I just self-identify as translate. 
not translate like the language translate, but you guys know what I'm talking about. That's someone who's late but identifies as being on time. I thought of that one myself. I'm not going to lie. It is uh, challenging having somebody like Ernie in the office, uh, but due to diversity requirements, uh, we have to have he, him, she, her, we, they. Don't forget about us. Sorry. Okay. I mean, it's pretty good. There's obviously longer uh, to it than that. I just cut it off there because I thought that was the best part. But um, I am going to, in the next segment, I've been watching a lot of old Saturday Night Live. I'm going to break that down in a minute just because of comedy, just because of comedy. And then at the very end of the show, I actually rediscovered an old bit. I want to get back to doing bits. People have told me recently that they miss those on the show doing the scripted comedy stuff. So we're going to try to get back to that. I got a bunch of stuff written. We just haven't recorded it recently, me and Roy and Trisha. Uh, so we'll try to do that soon. But I, I did find an old bit that I want to bring back that I don't know that I ever played. I'll do that at the very end of the show today, though. So stick around for that. We'll be right back. segment on but i've been watching old saturday saturday night lives which are all on peacock but they're all edited so it's kind of weird because you're not seeing full episodes a full episode of saturday night live on tv is an hour and a half long in this area it runs from 10 30 to midnight uh, so i'm going back and watching a lot of the old ones now i've skipped the original cast years which is i think the first five years from about 1970, late 70s through the early 80s, maybe even 1980 itself, the original cast of Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, who was eventually replaced by Bill Murray, um, Gilda Radner, that crew. That crew I, I've never really identified very much with. I don't know if you are. I mean, I'm 41 years old, so they were... Before my time, they were literally before I was born, because I was born in 81. Um, so I never really connected with them. I get that there are some really funny sketches, but that was like my dad's generation. <clears throat> then what? there's this kind of lost generation of Saturday Night Live from about 1980 through 1985 that I've gone back and watched some of. Simply because I was curious about what it is. I mean, there's there's really almost nothing that gets played back from that era other than some of the Eddie Murphy clips when he's doing Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood and the Gumby stuff. Other than that, there's almost nothing. And the craziest casts are in those years of people who've had big careers afterwards who were just blips on the radar during those years of Saturday Night Live. I'm talking about Randy Quaid, Robert Downey Jr., um, what's her name, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Joan Cusack, Anthony Michael Hall, 
and they're all in sketches. I mean, there's a lot of stars in a lot of these episodes. Damon Wayans is in these things. And I'm watching Christopher Guest is another one. He was actually pretty funny. And Billy Crystal kind of gets lost in that shuffle, too. Though He was one of the bigger ones from that lost era. Well, I don't know if you knew this about Saturday Night Live during that era, but Lorne Michaels wasn't the showrunner. At the time, I think that would have been called something else, but he wasn't the guy in charge of the show. I'm using these terms like you care. I, I have a bit of a background in the industry, not a huge one. Um, but Lauren Michaels, when he steps away and you watch these episodes, there's some decent characters in there once in a while, but the feel of the show is so strange. I mean, there are times that unless it's being edited out, like I said, some of these episodes are edited for, I don't know what reason, if they don't have copyrights for certain things, but they never play the musical artists. So I'm sure that's copyright oriented, but then they'll also just not play portions of the show. Well, there's a lot of episodes that don't have monologues. So I, I, I can't tell if they're just dropping the monologue because they don't have rights or, to it or something, or if they just didn't have monologues. It seems to me like they didn't have monologues the way the shows are set up. Well, then Lorne Michaels apparently comes back in 1985, and all of a sudden you start to feel like the show is becoming Saturday Night Live again. It was just this weird mishmash, and I'm telling you, Go back and watch it for yourself. Watch any of those episodes from about 80 through 84 or 5, and you will realize, man, these stunk. <laughs> I mean, they were bad, but they were with really talented people. So I don't know what the miss is, but Dick Eberhardt was a guy in charge of the show at that time. And, and I, you know, it's possible that Lorne Michaels is also trying to shine the worst possible light on those years. So that may be what's going on. I don't know. I mean, there might be some politics involved. But anyway. Once I'm now into 1985 and I'm looking forward to getting into the 1986 and seven, because then you start to get, I just starting to get John Lovitz and Dennis Miller is doing weekend update. And those first episodes, those first year, he's not great at it. It's not awful, but he's not great at it. And he does get better. And then Kevin Nealon takes over and then Norm Macdonald, of course, but I'm, it's amazing to watch the evolution of this show because it's it's like you watch stuff now and the bar is so high for entertainment now that when you watch a show and it's just okay, you're like, that stunk. Well, if you go back and watch Saturday Night Live, an institution, an absolute institution in not just American, but worldwide entertainment, people know what Saturday Night Live is. You go back and watch some of the origins of them trying to get their footing on this show and they suck. They're terrible with talented people. So it's just amazing to watch. You know, you can watch sitcoms or other shows from the late 70s and early 80s and be just as amazed at how bad they were. Even the good ones. The good ones that survive today, let alone the ones that didn't survive, which are terrible. But the good ones, you know, people aren't really watching those shows anymore. It's because entertainment has moved so far beyond them. So I encourage you, go back and watch Saturday Night Live and it's it's not only an exercise in where entertainment has gone, but it is an exercise in where society has been because it has been on for so long. I mean, it's one of the few shows that you really could do this. It's been on for so long, and it, it always has a little bit of cultural commentary in it, even if it's not direct politics like Weekend Update usually is. You know, there's sketches in there that deal with things going on in the world and news items and things and just kind of poking fun at them. 
and to see what was okay in one year and then the next year, ooh, that's not okay anymore. And that's not okay anymore. And the way that we have stifled free speech in this country in ways that are intended to to do good, that's what's amazing. Is it's not just like what's woke right now in 2023. It's the way that this has happened over years. And I'm sure that that's the case in any society. It's just that we move faster because we're the information, we're the tech society. Nothing's ever moved this fast before. So you can see it happen so much faster. But it's, it's always a question of when you decide to tell people, no, you can't do that anymore. You can't say that. You can't make those jokes anymore. Are you really the good guy when you're doing that? Or do you just think you're the good guy because you think you're doing something good and ultimately you're just squashing speech, you're squashing ideas instead of letting them play out in the marketplace the way that they should and would? I I don't know. It's an interesting time capsule and it's on Peacock if you want to, you know, kind of watch along with me. I'm not doing this fast. It's just kind of one of those things that I'm infrequently just popping in, watching a couple episodes and then I pop back out and I'm trying to get to 1986 because I know they get better as they go. And then you get Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman back in there early and they start to get a lot better. But that's where I'm at right now. I'll update you along the way, let you know how culture changes as it does. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.